Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. I'm glad that you're here. We are working through a series called Sermon on the Plain. There is a grouping of Jesus teaching in Luke chapter 6 that has been nicknamed the Sermon on the Plain because he teaches it while he's on a plain, P-L-A-I-N, not the other one. Uh, We've been working through this kind of paragraph by paragraph through this series. We really enjoyed the last two weeks with Joy and Jamie Herbst helping us with that. And then we're back. We've got, after tonight, we have two weeks left. We're using this six-week series to kind of prepare our hearts for Easter, to be looking forward to Christ, looking forward to Easter, and have that celebration in our heart, even starting now, that anticipation in our heart for that great day of Easter, what it is that God did when he sent his son into the world to be beaten and to be abused and to be murdered and to be crucified on a cross so that we could be resurrected. So I am I'm so thankful for that. I'm looking forward to Easter. Exciting things are coming. But tonight we are going to move into a new section into Luke chapter 6, which is where we're going to start today. But first, I need to tell you a story. So last Friday... Mandy was still in here, here in town, and the night before, she had asked me if I would wake up a little bit early in the morning, and if I would go to Myers and get a gallon of milk so that we could have cereal for breakfast and let the day get started. So I said yes to this, and so before I fell asleep, I set my alarm clock 15 minutes earlier than normal so that I would wake up and have the time to go make that quick trip. So in the morning, my alarm goes off, and I wake up, and when I wake up, I have this kind of like little joyful thought in my head. And I want to share that thought with you. And my thought is that because I said yes, and because I was waking up early to take care of my family and to help my wife out with this task that she had given me, um, that maybe, just maybe, I'm actually a little more caring than the average husband. And I, I felt good about this. And then I thought about, like, you know, not only did, like, I say yes to doing this, but I'd actually followed through, right? I set my alarm. I woke up. I'm conscious. This is good. And that maybe even more than just being more caring, possibly I am also more disciplined than the average husband. And I I felt good about this. And so I got dressed. I threw in some joggers and a T-shirt. And I just have to say, as casual as you might think that I dress, in my home, there's three drawers that are my clothes. And the top two drawers are clothes I'm allowed to wear to church. And then the bottom drawer is all like joggers and shorts and things I wouldn't wear to church. But I just need to tell you, when I get dressed from drawer three, I feel really good. And so I got dressed from drawer three. And as I walk out the door, I'm opening the door, and I turn, and I just for a moment see... (laughs) my reflection in the mirror in our living room, and I, I, I looked good. And, and so I thought to myself, this other like slightly happy thought was that like maybe I am more trendy than the average man. But I'm not that guy that spends a bunch of money on clothes. I'm either buying clearance or off-brand so that maybe I'm also more frugal than the average man. And you know, they talk about 12 o'clock shadow, but I just got to tell you, I can grow, grow a 12 o'clock shadow by 10 a.m., And so maybe I'm also more masculine than the average man, which speaking of more masculine, I then walk out of my house and get into my compact car, a Scion XD, which means I don't need some big truck to express my masculinity. I can also be more eco-friendly than the average man. And then as I get ready to back out of my driveway, I pause 
and I wait a full 30 seconds for a very slow dog walker to walk past, and I realize that I am also more considerate than the average man. So as I'm driving along, I have this very strategic plan for driving. I drive five miles an hour over the speed limit, so I'm like speeding a little bit, but not a lot. And it, what I found is like it's the perfect line where as I drive, I can also feel more obedient and also more daring than the average man at the same time by the decisions I'm making. So then I pull in the Myers parking lot, and then I have to tell you that as I'm walking in, I see someone who is walking very slowly out into the parking lot, and I smile and wave at them with this small thought in the back of my head that I must confess to you is that I am probably more healthy than the average man. I say hi to the person that is greeting inside the Myers grocery store, and there is a small thought in my head that I am probably more highly compensated than that person. I see someone who's checking out in front of me once I get my gallon of milk, and they have a large amount of alcohol in their cart, at which point I make the conclusion that I am more Christian than they are. And I get in my car to drive home, and I'm feeling fairly good about myself. I remember that the reason I had to get milk this morning is that Mandy actually had said the day before that she was going to get it while she was in the store, but she didn't, which then led me to a couple other things that maybe possibly I am more reliable, more hardworking, and more honest than she is. So I pull in my driveway, and I'm feeling pretty great about myself. I sit down on my couch, and I pull out Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38 where Jesus says this, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I feel like we should pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. There is a sinful nature inside each one of us that is dragging us away from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would call to us tonight. Allow us to be transformed by your word. Teach us your ways. Teach us new ways that are not our own, that we might be more like you. We need you. Shape us tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So our passage today opens with these grand four words, do not judge others. And uh, I have to tell you that when I started reading it this, this week, it did hit me like a stop sign. And there are things about it that just continue to make me a little crazy and a little bit angry as I approach this text. Because judging others is like a magnet. It pulls us in. There is this strange thing. You know, we actually had a sermon about... Uh, judgment in uh, our James series this past fall. It was entitled Judgment and Mercy, and we learned that James taught us that mercy triumphs over judgment. So as I'm beginning to kind of work through this text and figure out how to take a fresh approach with this topic today, I have to say I have this kind of frustrating conversation with God, and my deliberation works like this, like, God, don't you remember that sermon that I preached last fall? Wasn't it really great? Didn't I present myself in a way that was more educated, more humble 
than the average preacher. Judging others is like a magnet. It pulls us in. And it gets me stuck sometimes when I begin to think about why. Why is judging others so attractive? Why does it pull me in? Why is it so important for me not just to be strong or smart, but it's so important for me to be stronger or smarter than the person sitting next to you? And no offense to the person sitting next to you. Why do we do it? And I look at this wall of adjectives behind me, and yes, it's good for me to be educated, passionate, and humble, but why does it feel so good for me to be more educated, more passionate, and more humble than someone else? Why does putting them down lift me up? And why are we so addicted to this practice? So check this out. Um, If you are someone who loves helping others, would you raise your hand? It's not a trick question. If you love helping, and keep your hand up, if you love helping others, raise your hand. Now, if you love asking for help, leave your hand up. See, why is that? Why is it that we can feel so good about giving someone help, and yet we feel so poorly about asking for help? And I want to say this carefully. Is it possibly because we are looking down at the people that we help? That we view asking for help as a weakness. Judging others is like a magnet. It pulls us in. And it's important to me today that before we understand why we shouldn't judge, we pause to understand why we want to. Why do we keep getting pulled back in? You know, in Luke chapter 18, there's another story that Jesus tells, and it's a parable, and it goes like this. He says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Do you hear that tone? Do you hear the judgment in that tone, that separation, that need to be stronger, to be smarter than someone else, that need to put someone down in order to lift myself up? And, you know, and it's easy for us to see this. It's easy. We're removed 2,000 years from the story for us to look back and see this Pharisee. But, like, friends, the danger is we look back 2,000 years ago, and we sit here in 2022, and we sit at our table, and we say, Oh, God, thank you so much that I am so much better than that unrighteous Pharisee. Thank you, Lord, that I am smarter than him, that I am braver than him, more righteous than him, greater than him. And we can fall into this trap So easily, judging others is like a magnet. It pulls us in. And the only pathway to rewiring your soul, to breaking this habit, to moving away, to making the choice to not judge others, the only pathway is repentance. So repentance and humility are like best friends. They never go anywhere without each other. They can't be separated. And when we open up our conversation with God with a statement of repentance, repentance says, I'm not going to judge others because I am worthy of being judged. I have sinned. I have fallen short. I'm not going to make this on my own. Heavenly Father, forgive me for the things that I have done. And when we start a conversation with God with repentance, humility just slides right in there with us. 
Humility brings us down. And humility then is that foundation that every good thing God wants to build in your life is going to be built on a foundation of humility. That when we come before him, if you want to understand the why and move away from wanting to judge others, it has to take that first step of repentance. There's another prayer that's listed in the same story, and it's the prayer of the tax collector. The tax collector is a man who had made a bad deal with a foreign government, who was cheating his friends, who was accepting bribes. And he prays a prayer that sounds very different from the Pharisee's prayer. And his prayer looks like this. He says, oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. The first step that he makes out the door is a statement of repentance. And when you make a statement of repentance, humility shows up really quick. Forgive and repentance and humility are best friends. They always stick together. They cannot be separated. And God can build some really great things in your life on a foundation of humility. As we return back to our passage, it's like I know that in this passage, we're going to get into some really exciting, positive things here in just a second. There are some phenomenal, good things that God has planned for your life. There is some amazing blessings and some generous things that God wants to give in your life, even tonight. But before we head down that path, it is so critical that our first step, when we're talking about being judgmental, that our first step is a step of repentance. I wrote a prayer as I was working through the sermon, and it looks like this. It just says, Oh God, forgive me for judging others. Teach me a better way. And it was a prayer that I had to make in the process of, of writing this. And before we go on to all of the good, exciting stuff, I think it would be very wise for us to pause here and, and pray this prayer together. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say it two more times. And if this prayer, as you see it on the screen, if this prayer resounds with your spirit. If you've heard something in the first two minutes that has made the Holy Spirit waken up in your heart and say, yeah, I'm tempted to do that. There are places in my life where I have sat in a seat of judgment, where I have found value in making myself higher than other people. I would really encourage you to pray this prayer with me as I read through this two times. So here's the first time. Oh God, forgive me for judging others. Teach me a better way. And if you want to say it with me the second time, say it with me. Oh God, forgive me for judging others. Teach me a better way. Okay. You want to talk about the better way? Let's do it. So in the opening passage that we read, there's really four verbs that are there. There's four behaviors that are listed, and they look like this. It's judge, condemn, forgive, and give. These four behaviors that every one of us in this room have had some kind of experience with these four behaviors. And really, you almost can think of them in pairs rather than four separate ones. Because we've got two negative behaviors that are the judge and condemn. And then there's two positive behaviors, forgive and give. So he's saying, um, why should you not judge and condemn? Because when you judge and condemn, you will be met with judgment and condemnation. But when you forgive and give, you will be met with forgiveness and generosity. This is Jesus's wonderful upside down kingdom. If I don't judge you for being rude to me the last time we had lunch at Cousin Subs, then when I'm rude to someone else, judgment will not come after me. If I don't condemn you 
for not paying me back for that sandwich I bought from you. It's a cousin subs. Then when I don't pay someone else back, condemnation is not going to come towards me. Now you may say, now Dan, hold on, hold on, hold on. That, that's not how the world works. That if I don't judge someone else, they're still sending judgment my way. If I don't condemn someone else, they're still sending condemnation my way. Dan, that's not how the world works. And you would be totally right. Jesus is not talking about how this world works. Jesus is talking about how his world works. This is why we pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, let the way that things work in heaven work that way here on earth. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying, when you don't judge others, sure, they might still judge you, but when you don't judge others, your heavenly Father is going to lift his judgment off of your life. And that is an amazing thing. Because now let me tell you about you and me. We're both sinners. We have done things in our life that are outside of God's law. We have resisted him. We have moved away from him. And with that, with every wrong deed, with every wrong thought, with every wrong attitude, we are deserving of punishment. We are deserving to pay the price for the crimes that we've committed. And that weight is sitting on us. And your heavenly Father says, when you don't judge others, I will lift my judgment off of you. And that is an amazing promise. When you don't condemn others, I'm going to lift my condemnation off of you. When you forgive others, the beautiful, powerful forgiveness of heaven is going to rain down on your life. And that is good news. I think sometimes we have trouble trying to pinpoint or we get confused with where forgiveness comes from. I think many times when we think about forgiveness and the people that we need to forgive in our lives, we can feel like forgiveness comes from us. That when someone comes up to me and says, hey, Dan, would you forgive me? That I'm kind of left to like look inside my heart and see if, you know, check the bank account and see if there is enough forgiveness left in stock for me to give you some forgiveness. And I might look at you and say, hey, dude, um, you've done the same thing like so many times, and I'm exhausted by it. And I looked at your account, you're overwithdrawn, and I just don't have any more forgiveness to give back to you. This is a strong misunderstanding. Forgiveness is not a commodity that you can create. It is not something that you have. You are simply a channel of the forgiveness that has been given to you. So check this out. So God in heaven who did not have to suffer in your place, came down from heaven, suffered and died so that his forgiveness could be given to you for free. So when you called upon the name of Jesus, when you said, Father, I need you, I'm not enough, forgiveness from heaven is pouring down into your life. It is raining over every mistake that you've made. Every sin stain that's on you is washed white by his forgiveness. And then in that, he says, I'm pouring forgiveness on my everlasting, endless forgiveness into your life. And what I need you to do is I need you to open the gate and let that forgiveness flow through you to the people that are around you. That when you look at that person in front of you who says, I need you to forgive me. Well, guess what? That forgiveness is not coming from you. You don't need to check and see if you have enough of it left. That forgiveness is flowing through you from your heavenly Father. And he simply says, when you forgive others, open the gate and let my forgiveness flow through you. This is the reason that we pray 
Father, forgive my sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Don't get blocked up. Let things flow through you. Introduce other people. I want you to think about the people in your life who have seriously or severely hurt you. People who you might look inside of you. And if you are looking inside of you for enough forgiveness that you can manufacture this commodity, that you can like create enough forgiveness, I promise you, you will not come up with enough. It's not in you. But if you look to your heavenly father and you consider the work that he has done for you, when you consider his grace poured out on mankind and the amount of forgiveness that he has generously given to you, all you got to do is open that gate and let, your, let that forgiveness come through you to the people that are in your life. I had a really interesting conversation today, a really meaningful conversation today with a woman in our church who escaped an abusive marriage about a dozen years ago. And she shared with me kind of her amazing testimony of a journey to forgiveness for this ex-husband. There is a, a, an amazing bravery there because within herself, she's not going to come up with enough. It's only by the Spirit of God that God could allow his forgiveness to reign through her. That is something that only happens by the grace of Jesus. We can't come up with enough. It's only by him that we can introduce this world to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. If God is the Amazon.com of forgiveness, you are nothing but the van driver. <laughs> you didn't make it. You didn't buy it. You're just passing it on. Could we be amazing van drivers of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to our loved ones, to our communities, to those who have severely and seriously hurt us, that they might know what the forgiveness of Jesus Christ looks like? Now let's talk about giving. So he also says, give, and it will be given generously to you. You know, you cannot outgive God. It was interesting, I was looking up the other day, in 2020, there was a study that was done over 23 different countries, and um, it was done by uh, a financial firm. There's a guy named Kimo Erickson who did the study, and this is what they came up with. He said, generous people have healthier bodies, minds, and relationships in the long run. They actually make more money than people who are selfish. This is how the kingdom of heaven works. When you give generously, God will give generously back to you. I think it's really important when we talk about generosity. I think a lot of times our first thing is to think about money because money is a very important tool. Money is one of the many commodities that God has given you in your life. He has given you health. He has given you love, friendship. He's given you this church. He's given you relationships. He's given you a job, work that you do together. And in all of the things that God has given you, I want you to imagine that in the same way. Heaven is open, and every good thing that you've ever experienced in your life is pouring out from heaven into you. Would you open the gate and give generously to the people that are around you? Would you see that type of generosity continuing to move through you? I want to read that again, what Luke said in uh, verse 38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You cannot outgive God. 
You know, I'm always challenged to continue to find places to be generous and to express a generous spirit. It is human nature to just grab onto stuff and to hold it because if I let go of it, I might lose it. <sighs> he who's willing to lose his life for my sake will gain it that we can live generously and pass it on. Luke closes this, this paragraph, and as we're closing today, he closes this paragraph with two kind of interesting questions. And the first one he asks is he says, um, can the blind lead the blind? Which is kind of a little left field, right? Because we've been talking about these four behaviors of judge, condemn, uh, forgive, and give. And he asks this question that seems a little left field of can the blind lead the blind? And what he does in these last two questions is he takes this topic, everything that we've discussed tonight, and he frames it in an evangelistic mindset, meaning sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. How is it that we become light and we share light? And so he puts you in the place of leadership. And he says, how can the blind lead the blind? So if you in this church have a knowledge of Jesus Christ, if you've been so blessed to have the Holy Spirit lead you and for you to have this feeling, this desire to follow Christ, then Luke's going to put you in the spot of leadership, and he says, how can the blind lead the blind? Meaning, if there's something in your eyesight that's not clear, if you're going through life and you're judging others or condemning others, if you're not forgiving, if you're not giving to others, well then, how, how can you be a leader? If, if I need to call you to a leadership role in the kingdom of God, if I want you to have the ability to be the van driver and deliver Christ's forgiveness to this world, how are you going to do that if you're not seeing clearly? The other question he asks, he says, should you not remove a log out of your eye so you can remove the speck out of your brother's eye? And it's another question about leadership. If you want to help someone else, how are you going to do that if there's a log in your eye? If you're judging others, if you're condemning others, if you're not forgiving, if you're not giving, well, then you're not going to be a good van driver. You're not going to be a good leader. How can the blind lead the blind? And so when Jesus puts the why into all of this, we have the instructions. Do not judge, do not condemn, forgive and give. But if he starts to explain why you need to do all of the things, the, answers, the answer is evangelism. The answer is, I need people to go share the good news of Jesus Christ to this world. And if you are going to be in a role of leadership, if you're going to lead other people to Christ, if you are going to be an introducer to the great forgiveness and generosity of Jesus Christ, I really need you to be seen clearly. I need you to have 20-20 vision as you're going out to lead people into grace. I think this room is filled with leaders. I think this room is filled with people who have both the passion and the spiritual maturity to make an impact in this world, to not be hiding their light under a cover, but shining their light and letting people see what the good work of Jesus Christ does. That when he showers his forgiveness and his generosity into our heart, that our gates are open and that we're going to see that forgiveness and generosity move out into our world. And if you're going to do that, Jesus says, you need to be seen clearly. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word does not return void. And whenever we walk into it, your spirit's going to move. And I pray that just right now, your spirit would speak to us. Do not judge. Do not condemn. Forgive and give. 
I pray, Lord, that if there is a speck or a log in any of our eyes, that your Holy Spirit would work on us. We want to be leaders in your kingdom. We want to be introducing people to the goodness of you. And I pray, Lord, that you would work on us. I pray, God, that the next time one of us has an opportunity to be that delivery mode of your forgiveness and your generosity, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the mind and the passion and the fearlessness to do the things you've called us to do. I pray, Lord, that you would open opportunities, even this week, for us to share with people that we care about, with people that maybe we've never met before, that we would be sharers of your goodness. I pray, Lord, that we would be wide-open people, wide-eyed open people as we walk through our world. I pray, Lord, that you would give us your strength and your mindset. We love you. We need you. Be that transformer in our lives. We love you, and we give you praise tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org. Dot org.